0: What? 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 What What now? What? What?
1: That's going to open the show.
2: Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter.
1: Hey and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter banter. I am Rob No, and joining me today are Ryan Flurry. Hello Mr. Steve Barkley. Howdy. And for those who remember special guest star from the him from the anniversary show, the Christmas show and many of his other hits in the background as we recorded the podcast we have mr. Rick chant with us today
2: yeah. good morning
1: so we should we should tell everybody who Rick chant is if they're not familiar with him
3: Ryan won't you do the honors Rick used to be the service manager for Aroga technologies whom we all used to work for and oh, you no. new kids that's near right. <laughs> <Mere> 23 years <laughs> And he has now started his own company called Chaos Technical Services.
1: Which does the same thing,
2: which fixes broke stuff. That's right. Which does the same thing for the same people on the same equipment. The only thing different is the company name. Right. That's about it. That's about it.
3: Pretty much. And he actually has a smile on his face now when you call him.
2: Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what
3: working because somebody else is not
2: paying the piper to pipe the tune. That's right.
1: Well, uh, Ryan,
3: Rob, what uh, what are we up to today? Today we are having an
0: interview with our very own Steve Barclay. Yeah, I think this is just a bad idea. <laughs> Particularly since Rick's in the room. <laughs> Cause that, that pretty much guarantees it's not going to be an interview. It's going to be a roast. Well, that's oh, okay. Well,
1: that's okay, too. We can we
3: can market that. We can work with that. <laughs> we thought about plowing through your Facebook friends and getting some guests on. but
1: That's right. We, are <laughs> oh, you, we couldn't find your grade three teacher, though. <laughs> are you imitating that um,
0: I know things? We <laughs> <laughs> you know a few things. <laughs> Just a few. Because Rick and I go back past Aroga. We go back to Crosshatch Copiers. 30 so years. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God.
2: Thirty years we've been friends. Kicking about.
0: And and my sister used to board at his house.
2: Yeah. Karen lived with me for three years.
0: I know lots about Steve. And his father in law was my elementary school (laughs) principal at one point.
2: I know even more about Steve.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a little bit of a different episode for us we wouldn't normally interview ourselves but we were sitting around and thinking about it and uh yeah we we all have a lot of experience in this field and we have you know some stuff to say so we thought why not let's turn the mics inward and uh see who we can offend so well tell us steve how many years have you been in the assistive technology field
0: He hasn't got that many fingers and toes. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to think. Uh, I started in 1990, so it'll be oh 27 years come November. Wow. Okay. And what the hell led you down
1: the assistive technology path? Uh, fluke, um,
0: divine intervention. I feel like uh, that's how most careers start. Yeah, a lot of times. I was I was um, I was working for a photocopier company. Um, and, uh, actually I was working with Rick at the photocopier company and they, they made me the uh, service manager. And after a while I discovered that being service manager meant that, uh, you got to take all the crap for everything that went wrong, but you weren't actually allowed to change anything. Um, so I eventually got fed up with the role and, um, and quit to pursue my, uh, my brilliant brilliant science fiction writing career. <laughs> um, after a few weeks and, uh, meeting some of the local sci-fi writers, um, m- some of whom were, were really good. Uh, most notably, uh, Spider Robinson, who, uh, he'd won, I think he'd won both the Hugo and the Nebula and, uh, he was having trouble making his rent. Um, I f- finally wised up and realized that, uh, I probably wasn't going to make much of a career out of, um, out of sci-fi because, well, Spider was a thousand times better than I was at writing. And uh, if he couldn't make it, then, well, pretty prob- slim chance. I probably wasn't going to either. <laughs> so I started looking for work. And uh, back then, uh, color laser copiers were pretty new. And I'd been trained on them by Panasonic. So I started shopping that skill set around and, and uh, Kodak was very interested in hiring me. Uh, the service manager at Kodak basically said, hang on, I've got to get permission to open up, open up a position for you. Um, but, but hold on and, and, uh, and, uh, I'll get it done. So I was waiting around for that. My roommate at the time, uh, Kelly Whitehouse, he, uh, I think, he, I think he just got sick of seeing me sitting around on the couch at home <laughs> and he ended up taking my resume in. Uh, he worked in a computer company and there was this little company that was renting two rooms out of the back of their offices and he took my resume into them and uh, he had told me, he said, uh, listen, there's this company, they're renting two rooms out of the back of our office, uh, you know, they're looking for a service technician. And I said, I don't know, a company renting two rooms out of the back of your office? That sounds pretty, pretty shady. I'm, I'm not really interested in that. Besides, you know, I had Kodak on the line, but he took my resume in anyway and he mm. came home that day and he says, okay, you've got an interview tomorrow at, at noon. It's like, well, man, okay, well, fine. So really wasn't into it. So I didn't bother to dress up. You know, I just sort of showed up looking scruffy, hadn't shaved. And, uh, met, uh, Bob and Barb Vigorette and their, uh, fairly new company, Aroga. And, uh, Bob and Barb had just finished interviewing a whole bunch of, uh, BCIT grads who were showing up in suits and ties. And, um, they were a couple of hippies from, from Manitoba. And when the, uh, when the scruffy looking Nerf herder came through the door, <laughs> they, uh, they looked at me and they went, yeah we could probably live with that scruffy prick (laughs) so uh that uh later that day bob offered me the job and i said "Eh, no you know i'm really not interested i've got kodak on the line and he ended up selling me on the job over the phone Uh, he was a good salesman he was a good salesman (laughs) so i uh i ended up working for him and the day that i started work kodak called and said hey We've got that position opened up for you. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and uh the rest, as they say, is uh history. Been at it ever since.
1: Uh and so wait, so explain to me was, they were only renting two rooms at the time?
0: Yeah, they had one room that was uh A warehouse, Bob Bob and Barb's office. And uh no, I don't think you ever saw this place. It was No, uh, I didn't never yeah. did. It was, uh, they, they had one room that was showroom and Bob and Barb's office, they, they had uh, a couple of desks in there, and then the other room was just kind of a storeroom, and that ended up becoming my uh, my workshop for the first, uh, first while. Um, the computer company that they were renting the space from was a company called uh, Structured Computer Systems, and uh, I'm not sure how long we were actually in that office, but at one point that company um was going out of business and uh, they ran into some financial trouble and one day just as i'm about to leave work uh bailiffs showed up at the door and started <laughs> started grabbing stuff and uh, i ended up having to stay behind to keep beating the bailiffs off to keep them from grabbing stuff out of uh, out of our offices because <laughs> legally they were entitled to take anything that it's was on the premises on the premises yeesh so uh so yeah, we ended up moving out of there, um, when that happened and, uh, got into a place in North Vancouver on, um, uh, Bewick, Bewick, Bewick Avenue, North Van.
1: So in the, so you were, you were literally employee number one. I was. Yeah. And what was it that you were, you're, were, so you're working as the service
0: manager at that point. So you were just fixing. Yeah, I was fixing things back then. It was, um, let me see. Versabrails, um, navigator braille displays uh opticons uh liberators uh no no liberators came later i was doing touch talkers and light talkers oh. um intro talkers intro talkers yeah <laughs> uh, i can't remember the Ramic product it was a big wheel uh that had symbols on it i can't remember what the name of that thing was we had a couple of mm. those that came in time to time um, and then just odds and sods, you know, switches and, you know, any, anything that, uh, broke down. stuff. Yeah. Anything that was broke stuff.
1: <laughs> so yeah. were, were they running as mainly a communication aid company at that point or had they, had they expanded to the, the entire product groups that they eventually would carry?
0: Yeah. At the time, the two big lines for them were Prentke Romet company for communication aids and telesensory systems for, um, for low vision and blindness products. Uh, Telesensory had just taken over uh, VTech, which was another manufacturer of of low vision aids. Uh, So there was a lot of legacy VTech product that was kicking around that had to be repaired, as well as the newer uh, Telesensory products.
1: So they really hadn't delved into, like, say, physical access or
0: education at that point? Physical access was sort of a... A component of hanging off the edge of a desk. Yeah, it, it was it was a component of the augmentative communication as much as anything. Um, they didn't have the really sophisticated uh, computer interfaces that we have now. Um, back then, the state of the art for a computer interface for somebody with a physical disability was Morse code uh, on a uh, on a sip puff switch, typically. Um, wow. So yeah, it it you know it was slow and and ponderous, and then we started to get into early voice recognition. We played with a few different voice recognition systems. Um, yeah, back then the OCR were, stuff. Yeah, Oscar. OCR. Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, Oscar. What? What's Oscar? Uh, uh, Oscar was uh, was an OCR product from TeleSensory. It was a. Uh, a Hewlett Packard scanner that had an interface card that went into the computer. SCSI interface yeah, card. Big SCSI interface card. And uh, there was a separate uh, processing card uh, to do OCR that uh, was proprietary to, to telesensory. And then you had uh, VERT. Soft VERT, uh, yeah. Soft No, actually, back then it was uh, Vert Pro, Pro. yeah, yeah, with the hardware card. Software wouldn't work with the OCR stuff. Yeah,
2: so they had to update Uh, it. uh, I went to a soft. No, no,
0: Software came out afterwards because initially you had to have the Vert card. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm asked backwards. And then they made SoftVert, which allowed you to use other speech synthesizers other than the Vert card. So Yeah. That's a long time ago. And that's when we learned the phrase, accent ready.
2: (laughs) Accent ready.
1: See, folks, this is what it sounds like uh, when you talk about 80s music in front of your kids. Yep. (laughs) That's exactly that feeling of, I don't know what they're talking about, (laughs) but they're really
0: excited about it, apparently. Well, DOS, man. DOS. Oh, yeah. Uh, Still use it. Yeah. Still use it. Oh, sure, yes. Command line? Sure. Yep.
1: Well, okay. so and what was your what was your take on it at first? Like, did you find it intimidating? What did you think of the field when you when you first entered it? And did you think did you have any, you know, conception that you this was going to be a career for you?
0: Um, It it was intimidating because, um, you know, I had I had done my computer training on mainframe computers, not on not on PCs. (coughs) Uh, and then I'd spent three years, uh, fixing photocopiers, which was completely outside of the computer field other than for some of their controller cards. Um, so when I got back into computers for this, everything had changed. Everything was completely different. Um, you know, we were using, um, early generations of, um, um, uh, IBM Pentiums? Uh no, no. Oh Pentium, god, no Pentiums later. <laughs> 386 oh, uh, 25s. Uh, oh. No, I started out on 80, 80 8088s, 80, 80, yeah. yeah. And uh and then went up from there. Um so they were uh finicky to configure. Now I was I was very fortunate because because we were housed in with structured computer systems and my roommate Kelly was there he had more experience on that kind of stuff than i did you so had a brain to pick yeah he he was always around to uh, to help me out when i needed it so he really helped <laughs> me uh, get off the ground with with that stuff in the in the early going which uh, i i needed in a big bad way so yeah it, it was it was intimidating but did i did i see it as a as a career i i don't think i did at first no 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 it was just it was just a job so what kept you, what kept you there? Uh, it was the human experience. The, uh, one of the, one of the most powerful experiences I ever had, uh, early on was, uh, I, I was, I was sent over to, uh, Parksville, uh, on Vancouver Island to, uh, deliver a large print system to a veteran over there. And, uh, this guy, he was, I don't know, he was probably in his seventies or so, you know, he had his war medals up on the wall. There were pictures of him, you know, standing there as a soldier, you know, he'd, he'd fought all across Europe in world war II. And I set up a large print system for him and turned it on, put some paper underneath it. He read for the first time in years and he started to cry. Hmm. You know, this, this tough old soldier was just completely rendered emotional because all of a sudden he was once again able to do something that he loved, and that was Reed. Um, that, was, that was, I think, when I drank the Kool-Aid, you know, because um, it was the first time that I actually recognized the kind of impact that that, that type of equipment could have on people's lives.
1: And is, is, that type, is that what kind of continues to draw you into the field?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the only industries that I, I know of where you can have that kind of immediate and tangible impact on, on somebody's quality of life. You know, it, it, it really is, you know, maybe, maybe it's just that I have a short attention span and, you know, I, I, I need the instant gratification, but <laughs> Squirrel.
3: But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's immediate reward when, when something works out.
1: So tell us a little bit about, about the tra- trajectory that you took at Aroga then, cause you went from service manager to a different role. How did that come about?
0: I think it really, I, I kind of got pushed into the role of, of doing, um, sales over service. Hmm. Um, I think where it happened was probably when windows, uh, started coming in. Uh, so windows, windows three, one, when it initially came out, was completely inaccessible and people started hammering on it, um, right away to try and get access solutions and um when w- we as a company first got into offering um solutions for Windows 3.1, uh we had two products that, that were available <laughs> to us. We had we had Jaws from from um uh, back then it was Hunter Joyce, and we had um uh screen power for Windows uh that uh, was coming through telesensory. It was actually a uh, a German-made um, product uh, that that uh, TeleSensory was relabeling, um, and Bob and I decided we were we were going to do a presentation for uh, uh, Set BC Special Education Technology, British Columbia, and um, you know we we were on the fence as to which one of these was better, which one had a better approach. So um, Bob took Jaws. I took screen power. We both learned them. And then we both went to set PC and we did our, our demo on the two screen readers. Well, I kicked Bob's ass. <laughs> um, Bob had jaws. I sold them on screen power and, uh, you know, any, anybody who knows screen readers now knows the history and how long screen power lasted. It, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> jaws is by far and away the dominant product. And, uh, um, I think right around then, Bob realized, "Hey, this this guy can learn this stuff fairly quickly and can show it to people." And you know, and that's next thing I knew, I was out doing demos. I mean, he just kept uh, kept pointing me at places and sending me off to do demos, and and that's what I did. And so, is that where Mr.
1: Rick Chant entered the picture as the new service was, manager?
2: Just as he was moving over to sales, yep. I was in the process of returning from Saipan which is a hundred miles north of Guam. And we'd been friends prior to my leaving. And he called one day and he said, I got a position for you if you're interested. Okay. Well, let's see what it is. What, what is it first off? And, um, you know, tell me more about this. And, um, so we went down that road and uh, I left Saipan uh, in August uh, with the anticipation of traveling for four months, kicking around Europe with my wife and eight-month-old daughter. And I came back and started in January of 94, January 4th of 94. And I've been here ever since. Now,
1: let me ask you a similar question to Steve, then. Uh, were you intimidated by the,
2: the nature of the
1: equipment, or was it is it just equipment to you? And
2: No. Um, my wife lost her vision. In- in one eye um birthing my oldest daughter um so she's blind and i went through the whole emotional roller coaster of oh my god this has been a traumatic experience uh my wife is now blind when she actually she wasn't she was only partially blind in one eye and um i went through that whole emotional roller coaster and and I did some soul searching and asked myself a bunch of questions. You know, can I can I manage this relationship? And it was a fairly new relationship at the time. And um, then, as we were getting back, um, you know, we we traveled quite a bit, and I saw that she was actually managing quite well, considering it had only been a year. Um, and I looked at this uh, job that Steve said that he wanted me to look at, and. You know, it was it was kind of like, yeah, okay, I can do this for a while until I find something else. And uh, twenty three years later, I am still looking to find something else. <laughs> so
1: was it was it a similar experience? though, once you got involved in in the industry
2: and seeing the some of the stories that were coming out of the, the... well, I was doing computers in the background. I, I was building computers in Saipan uh, for the American military, mostly um, uh, with an outfit called White Coconut Computers and um we were doing a space-based radar station there um so my exposure um from school was through electronically was through photocopiers and stuff and then i went to um building computers there so my computer experience was was pretty solid um I, I'd not written batch files and stuff like that to make various uh, peripherals work, but I mean that was that was a learning curve. But no, I wasn't intimidated until it came to some of the adapt the dedicated adaptive stuff, Right. the communication aids, right. the the braille displays, stuff like that. It, it's kind of like you open a page of schematics and it's hieroglyphics. Yeah, and then you got to go back and think about what you learn two, three, four, five, for me with the military, 10 years prior and bring all that forward to be successful at what you do. So it was, it was a learning curve. It was, was I intimidated? I don't know that intimidated is the right word. Um, I think it's more, I approached it with some trepidation because I knew the impact of, of screwing this up was pretty extensive on the back end for the user right so but so is that
1: what
0: kept you in the field though
2: um yes no
0: what kept him in the field was every time he said i quit i would smack him upside the head and say no you don't yeah (laughs) uh, i've quit many 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 times
2: over the course of my career of working with aroga probably a couple of times a year actually (laughs) i never get hired back with a raise though is the problem Um, no no that's not what it was at all um, I, I enjoyed the work and uh, again echoing Steve you know it's something that I could see benefits to the end user fairly early on right and that's what piqued my interest and that's what kept me there and you know then all of a sudden uh, Bob and Barb got their heads together and said well you know He's okay at this, but maybe we should get some more formal training. Well, then it was off to, you know, do enhanced vision stuff and uh, brailers and all the other things that we were supposed to be selling. We, we always had the policy that we did sales and service. Right. So then I trained up on all that stuff. So then I was... They were getting their... Uh, because I told Bob when I started that I would give him five, uh, I would give him five years. Um... And then I would reevaluate. And about year three um, is when he started sending me on all these training sessions. I think he was trying to get his meat hooks into me. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't dumb. It, no, that's for sure. <laughs> and ultimately, he did. He he wound up, you know, making it so that I couldn't leave with a clear conscience right. because of what I would be leaving behind. Um, so I never left. So it must have been interesting for you guys
1: being basically coming into Aroga at the ground floor when they're uh, you know, t- renting out two rooms uh, in, a, in a computer store to where they eventually
2: went. Mm-hmm. Um, well, move, Aroga moved from two rooms in the back end of a computer store to Bewick Avenue, which was two rooms in a showroom in a, a small warehouse. Um, and a reception area and uh... we were there for f- four or five years and then we when we were falling over boxes and falling over each other and and we used to have to start hot desking it because it, elaine was with us then so yeah in- e- elaine and barb would be hot desking it you know we barb at work from Bowen, which is where they lived Elaine would be in one day, and then they would switch back and forth, and then Bob would be gone, and Steve would be in, and it was kind of, uh, they come and go like the tide, and when everybody was there, we were tripping all over each other, Um, so we obviously needed bigger space, and then we moved down to Welch Street, and we moved from 600-ish square feet to 3200 square feet and I thought <laughs> I thought we'd be rattling around for years in that space and within a year it was stacked to the rafters right you know we started warehousing stuff and and having stuff that it was we weren't special ordering specifically we kept stock on hand and you know as soon as the order came in boom it was out the door so uh, that was a really big jump for us, and then after being there for some time, we moved to CNIB on right. Joyce Street, which, if you ask me, was the smartest move that Bob ever made. Yep. As much as from as much as I hated it from the commute perspective, um, we shared a bunch of common clients, so when they went to CNIB for assessments or for you know, they'd stop by. Right. And I think that was a brilliant, brilliant move on his part. Yeah, it was. It was a great space. Yep. And then from there to Henning, we were at CNIB for 10 years. And then there to Henning, we were at Henning for three years. And that move was precipitated because they had sold the building and and the people who bought it were downsizing and moving clients around in the building. And they really wanted the space is what they really wanted. And uh, now it's a Tim Hortons. Yeah. Long term certainly a long term lessee in the in the space.
0: Well and BC Blind Sports is in our old warehouse space now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we moved down to Henning and we were there for three years. And uh then to Winston and we were there a year. No, not quite a year.
0: Was it not quite a year, a year? and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was more than a year. But oh, was it? Yeah. 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 We
3: were going on to our second. Oh
1: and I thought it was going on to our first. We'll get to that part of the story later. Yeah. Um well so so that growth, from from two rooms to, you know, probably at its peak, would be the CNIB years.
2: Um, yeah, that was a big space.
1: Was that was that because of of the industry growing, or was it was it more of, of just an internal like business building, or
0: what what sort of caused it in your eyes? Bob, Bob was really really good at, at managing growth and seeing opportunity and capitalizing opportunity. So um we originally had the one office in in North Vancouver. Uh eventually we uh hired his sister who was in uh, Kingston, Ontario. She gave us our first Ontario presence. Uh we opened up an office in Edmonton, Alberta with uh, Carrie Anton. Uh and that office grew for a while. Uh we made uh a shot at Montreal Montreal never
2: actually yet, amounted never, to much though no it didn't it you didn't know panic. Uh, there were a bunch of promises by the suppliers um, and by about, the agencies about, yeah about yeah, how much how much volume would go through a, a presence in in Quebec and it never materialized
0: yeah yeah but um, you know he, he and and he was he was never afraid to pull back too if 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 he had to if something wasn't working out it was he would he would back out he would reduce the costs and and uh you know he, he was very cautious and excellent manager of the business
2: very conservative yeah very well thought out yeah and and an excellent planner yes like beyond excellent planner yeah, yeah. These are the milestones that I need to reach. And if we're not doing that, then we need to assess why. And if we can't assess why, we need to get out of there. Yep. But did you
1: find that, I mean, being the, I, this would have been right, what, like early 2000s, um, was was the, the te- technology in the industry
2: changing? Well, you see, you had it from two sides. You had a an aging population needing more equipment. And you had somebody who was conservative at growing a company looking at this population and trying to figure out how to leverage one against the other. So it was a combination of two factors being managed in the background by somebody who's obviously a very good manager. And I think that's what caused us to grow to the point that we had when we were at CNIB what, 3,500 square feet of, of retail and, and office and warehouse and shipping. And, you know, it it was a pretty rare occurrence that a business day didn't go by, that somebody wasn't dropping something off or picking something up. Right.
0: A pretty rare occurrence. Yeah. But at the same time, there were also more and more companies that were recognizing the needs of this population and were developing new products for that population. That, That as well. And because Aroga was the only company in Canada that had multiple locations across the country, um, it was the go-to company to go to when you wanted to introduce a new product. Um, You know, if they started looking at, you know, distribution in Canada, they could, if they wanted to, go to five or six different companies and have regional representation for for different places, or they could go to Aroga and they could... Nationally be represented. Yeah you know with a company that already had uh, a lot of good good contacts into the areas that they they needed to get into so it, it it was oftentimes a natural pairing and it allowed aroga to get a lot of exclusive lines where other uh, distributors didn't didn't have the same opportunity and that ultimately as well
2: how aroga became such a household name in that market yeah yeah right uh, it, it, Adaptive equipment and Aroga were hand in hand yep. in this country.
1: What kind of technological changes did you guys see that caused the, the assistive technology field to sort of leap
0: forward? Um, the biggest influence, I think, on assistive technology over the last couple of decades has been the increasing power of computer platforms um you know we uh, we're, we're pretty nonchalant about the little computers that we carry around in our pockets that we refer to as phones but those <laughs> yeah, right. those things are vastly more capable than any computer out there from <clears throat> 10 years ago um 10 years ago probably 2 years ago well yeah maybe in <laughs> some cases but um that that allowed uh, you know I think about things like voice recognition. When we first got into voice recognition, um, we were playing with dragon version one, the very first Dragon. now dragon version one, you had to have a dedicated processing card that went into the computer, um, just for the voice recognition, it, it, it offloaded all of the, uh, functions for, for processing. Voice. Wait now, stop. Yeah.
2: Take a step back. Step you ahead. had to have
0: a platform yeah. that had architecture to support said card that's true yeah yeah so if you wanted a dragon system back then it was what 10 grand something oh, like that it was it was well up there yeah it was well up there. it was expensive because yeah. i think the daughter card was like four grand yeah. or something and then you needed the computer yeah. itself and it was probably four or five grand yeah. you know and but then you it, needed a good dedicated
2: microphone and yeah. then you needed you yeah. know, and yeah, wow.
0: yeah, on you know the monitor and the various peripherals and stuff and the <laughs> software and yeah, it was it was it was ten grand pricey. You know, somewhere along the way, they were able to get rid of the daughter card and just do the processing on the computer, and then it just kept getting better and better and better and more and more accurate. When we started, it was all discrete speech. <laughs> if you wanted to dictate, you had to put. A pause after each word. Exactly. (laughs) Period. Period. (laughs) And, uh, And then, you know, eventually it became natural speech. And once it became natural speech, well, that changed the dynamics because now you're crossing over into, well, okay, I'm a hunt and peck typist. You know, I don't have a disability, but this can dictate way faster than I can type. So that line gets blurred. Maybe I'll get voice recognition technology. Right. So that opened up the market and all of a sudden the company isn't looking at just a specialty disability product anymore. They're looking at a mainstream piece of software. Well, you know, look where it is now.
3: Right. You know, our phones
0: (laughs) all have voice recognition technology built into them. Now, granted it's not processed on the phone. It's, it's processed, um, you know, we actually send, that voice recording to a server somewhere where it's processed and returned to us as text. But that happens in the background. We don't, we don't see it happening and it's bloody accurate, Right, far more accurate than any of the, the systems previously. And it doesn't require any training at all, which you used to have to do with voice recognition. So I guess where I'm heading with this is the, the progression has been not just that the technology for disabilities has, has gotten better, but it's become so prevalent that the mainstream market is using it now, you know, speech output technologies is built into things like cars and so forth to, you know, provide hands-free feedback to drivers while they're driving, um, you know, um, voice recognition, uh, even GPS, you know, GPS was uh, really a, a, a product that was a novelty for people who were blind and visually impaired for a long time before it ever became popular in you know things like Tom Toms and Garmins and mm-hmm. and so forth for the mainstream. Well, I think too,
3: you know, the mainstream you know technology we had a couple of visionaries. We had the Bill Gates for Windows and we had Steve Jobs for the Mac, right? Mm-hmm. And without Windows 95, 98 or, you know, VoiceOver on the Mac, those PCs weren't accessible to anybody with a disability. You know, Steve Jobs from day one had this vision, same with Bill Gates, and they've just gotten better and better and better.
1: So do you think that's a a natural step towards the idea of universal design? Are we heading in that direction, do you think?
0: I think we are. Um, you know, I, I, I'd take a little bit of issue with with Ryan's assertion that, that uh, Jobs had that, that vision of accessibility at the beginning. I don't think he did. Um, it didn't take long to get voiceover on the second iPhone that came out. No, but Apple's early going, Apple's were completely inaccessible too right, right yes. at the beginning. Um, the only reason they became accessible is because of Berkeley Systems who developed the uh, the screen reader for... For the Mac, which eventually got bought by Apple, right. But even before they started to integrate
3: it, the Apple II's and IIe's, you know, there were some accessibility built into those.
0: Uh, no, no, there wasn't. That was all uh, add-ons. Oh, okay. Yeah, every everything for for the Apples was was an add-on. Okay. Yeah, you had to you had to add third-party software to it. Okay. um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't start to get access, accessible until the uh, iMac, I think. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's where it was. What about touchscreens? Touchscreens. Um, touchscreens used to be a total pain. Um, there were two ways you could get a touch screen. You could either get one that was built in to the monitor, which were hugely expensive, or you could get add-on touch screens, which you've basically velcroed to the front of the monitor. Um, but in both cases, they had to be calibrated. You had to do these little calibration procedures to make sure that the touchscreen was, was reacting properly. Um, and in the case of the velcroed ones, they would slip and slide and move about and they were total pain plus you had to get exactly the right size touch screen for the size of monitor you had as well so if you were not 100 percent correct on your screen size you would order one it'd be the wrong size you'd send it back you'd get the next one you would try that and we had a lot of touch screens come and go because people didn't measure their monitors properly or weren't sure what size they needed and, um you know now touch screens are in all kinds of things and they're rock solid there's no calibration required they just work you know from from phones to you know tablets to laptop computers touch screens are everywhere now
1: now what about but what about like the advent of the smartphone and uh ipads and tablets in general tablet
0: computing how did that change the industry well it changed everything um you know, um, just the fact that you could have a portable device that, you know, you got to look at it from different, um, from different groups because it affected different groups differently. So if you look at it from the, uh, low vision and blind perspective, you know, all of a sudden you've got the iPhone out, that's got zooming and speech output built into it. You know, suddenly there's a Touchscreen phone with all of this capability, email, web browsing, all of this stuff that you can do through this one mobile platform. And it, you're, you're not limited because of your visual impairment. You can, you can participate in that, um, without having to go out and buy a whole bunch of specialized aids to, uh, to get you involved in it. It was a total game changer for, for the low vision and blindness side of things. Um, and uh you know if you look at it in terms of physical disabilities um that side it might have actually in some cases been a bit of a hindrance because all of a sudden you're doing away with physical buttons which in some cases for some people might be easier to handle than a touch screen which is you know sensitive and you know easy to make a mistake on right um so You know there's positives and negatives with with different technologies but now that you're starting to see better interface technologies for physical aspects come out things like the uh oh i'm thinking of things like the glass house where you uh you know you basically wear a little headset and it drives a cursor around on your on your uh, mobile device you know you could be uh, a quadriplegic with nothing more than head movement and you could just move your head to control your device you know there's uh, plus the fact that there's voice recognition technology built in that's hugely important right. um, there's bluetooth switch interfaces now that you can get to to uh, to help with stuff there's switch interface protocols that are built into these devices now too so that side is it might have been a little bit slower to uh, to kind of revolutionize the uh, the the lives of people with physical disabilities but it's 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 got there
1: right you know? Well, and even now they're developing. You know, we talked to Hap to you uh, a few months back, who who are working on developing or integrating haptics into touchscreens. Oh yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could see um, touchscreens really be able to become um, usable by, say, the
0: visually impaired. Yeah, I've heard, uh, and and I wasn't I wasn't around for that one, and I haven't actually listened to that podcast, but uh, uh, I've heard of haptic touchscreens in the past uh, talked about. There was some speculation that it was going to be on the iPhone 5 at one point. Um, Never came to pass. But, um, um, I mean, could you, using haptics, do a, a, a reasonable representation of Braille?
3: I don't think they were necessarily talking about Braille on their podcast we did. They were more talking about being able to feel like knobs or volume sliders. Uh, buttons. Buttons that mm. were on the screen. Yeah. At least uh, initially. I mean it yeah. could
1: be, it could be down the road at some point. They could but Braille would be very finicky and very you'd have to have really fine haptics. And I don't I don't think the technology is quite there yet to mm. be able to to emulate Braille on a on a touch screen. So but boy once they can, that'll be a hot seller.
0: Oh are you kidding? If if you could suddenly turn every touch screen device into a braille device? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be massive.
1: Okay, well, let's dive into the fun stuff then. So so that went on for many years, uh, as, as we talked about, or we're going through many changes. We changed offices. Uh, but at some point, you found you had the keys, well, part of the keys to the kingdom. Tell us, tell us
0: about how that happened. I had part of the keys to the kingdom, yeah. Um, that was probably the single biggest mistake of my life. Um, if I was to give one piece of business advice to anybody out there, it is, uh, never buy in as a minority partner. Never. It was just a terribly, terribly bad idea. I would never do it again. Um, you don't have control. Um, you're, you're essentially a third wheel with your, your fate in somebody else's hands. And, uh, that, uh, that was where I found myself. My fate was in somebody else's hands. And as it turns out, um, it didn't work out so well. Yeah. So, so I had a 40% ownership stake in, in Aroga. Uh, My partner had a 60% ownership stake and, uh, because he had a background in, in, uh, the corporate world and, uh, finance. <laughs> um, oh sorry. I, uh, I I agreed to have him take over all accounting aspects and all financial aspects of the uh, company and uh, that really didn't pan out. To say the least, it didn't pan out. Do I need to say more? No. I think so that's I don't think I need to say more. I mean all of all of the potential of Aroga, all of the success that Aroga had, had uh, vanished in two years. It was gone, um, and it wasn't. It wasn't massive change in the marketplace that did it. It was um,
2: mismanagement at the top.
0: It was other aspects,
1: <laughs> which is the polite way of saying. Um, yeah, well, if certainly, I mean, uh, uh, if anything, the industry was is is was and is still growing. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, yep.
0: some parts of it for sure.
2: I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, and there's still innovation going on. There's still new products coming down the pipe. There's a lot of exciting work that's happening. Um, and for our listeners' sake, I would uh, just uh, like to stress at this point: buy my stuff, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, and call me sorry. if stuff is broke. <laughs> sorry, was that was that was that a little desperate, there, guys? <laughs>
1: well. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, then well so what so what did you do? So Aroga sort of slid into where you know, slid well, into the
0: pit? Initially chaos. and then uh, it uh, slid further to the point where uh, the bank uh, called our loan and uh, demanded repayment, which we weren't able to do, which forced us into receivership. Uh, and uh, they uh, basically came in, closed the doors and uh, liquidated the assets. Now that had to have been incredibly
1: frustrating to to deal to 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 just have your hands tied like that and just and just watch a company that you helped you've build. been invested in yeah for for that long to just sort of slide slide into receivership that fast.
0: Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was all that fast. We'd <laughs> been we'd been struggling for over a year <laughs> financially, um, and uh, I was I was given all sorts of reasons for why we were struggling financially, but, uh, now I'm in significant doubt as to whether any of those reasons that I was given were actually the case. Um, you know, TD, um, TD has filed, uh, fraud charges, which I'm now fortunately clear of. Um, but, um, they're, um, they're still very interested in pursuing those against the other owner. Um, who has subsequently, it seems, uh, moved to Australia? <laughs> um, so uh, there, there may still be a reckoning to come, to come from this. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what comes in the future. Uh, so see, you're,
2: you're so very nonchalant about it, and that, that, when this was happening, that fired us up so bad. Uh, around the kitchen table some nights. But if you look in this room right now, there are four people sitting here. And between us, we've got 80, 80, years in this industry. Steve's at 27. I'm at 23. That's 50. And between you guys, you know, 14 and 16 or 13 and 17 or whatever it is, that's 80 years. And to have that flushed away in 18 months, two years, Yeah, that galls me just a little bit.
1: Well, it must have hurt, too, in the sense of, you know, all the relationships that that the company had built and all the clients and all the people who were relying on Aroga to help them with their their servicing needs or with some of their tech support or whatever it was. I mean, it it must have, it's frustrating to, to think that you've left, hole in those people's lives as well it's you know
2: you know the thing that for sure the thing that bothered me about it was when this all started to happen um, I I can see making some of the clients angry in the short term if it's going to help long term but when you screw the suppliers over Then you not only lose the suppliers on the backside, you lose the clients on the front side. So then you're left rebuilding all these relationships all over again. Right. And we're we're seeing a lot of that stuff come back to roost. You know, PRC has gone internal. They're not doing any service. And uh, I was doing the service in Canada for them. They're pulling all that back to Ohio now.
0: Um. And Plus, they went direct on the sales. They, they're yeah. they no longer going through yeah. a company for representation. They're doing yeah. that directly.
2: Um, so, you know, all the augmentative
0: communication
2: clients across the country now have to send stuff back to the U.S. And I think that's a huge disservice. Well, sure, because there's brokerage and, and fees. Well, they're, and- they're picking all that up, oh, okay. from what I understand. but. I mean, it's a royal pain. You know, uh, uh, we've got clients here in town that have to send stuff to Ohio when I'm perfectly capable of servicing it. And I think if we had been, retrospectively, I think if we had been more forthcoming to our suppliers um, in admitting that we were having issues, that it might not have come to this,
0: no, they were aware that we were having issues. Oh yeah, they, they, they were uh, pain, certainly painfully aware that we were having issues. Yes. The problem was that they kept on getting told things were going to happen that on didn't happen. Timelines that didn't happen. Right. And they, eventually, they just stopped believing anything right. they were going to hear.
2: And who can blame them? Well, uh, absolutely. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is up front. Yeah. You know, I I think it was poorly handled. hmm Um, and uh, that's oh. what led us to all to this place.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. That's a fair comment.
2: So, were you were you
1: able to salvage some of those relationships, Steve?
0: Like, I was able to salvage virtually all of our relations or all of my relationships on the the low vision and blindness side of things. People were willing to um, to take me on again, um, but in uh, more more than one instance, uh, I was. Uh, severely questioned as to whether my old business partner had anything to do with my new company and they were not (laughs) willing to have anything to do with me if he was still part of it. Um, He burned a lot of bridges. Oh, he pissed uh, a lot of people off. Oh, yeah. Including us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, so I, I was very fortunate in that you know, a lot of these guys, I've known them for a very, very long time. They know enough about me; they're comfortable enough with me that they're still willing to do business with me. But boy, did it put a bad taste in their mouth! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, so yeah, I got a I got a lot of crow to eat for the next uh, the next bunch of years.
1: But it must have been. I, I mean, I just I can't imagine how it must how frustrating it must have felt because you want to tell these people something, and either. The inf- you don't even have the good information to pass on to them, or you don't have, or you're not getting the information that they that they
3: need. Well, like you said, you know, we were getting fed misinformation, so we didn't know what to tell people. Right. You know, yeah, they I mean, call
0: and say, "Where's my stuff?" I was like,
3: "I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> Let me see if I can find out for you." You know, when I'm when I'm told that a supplier is going to be paid on such and such a date, and they're going to get such and such amount of money, and I go and I tell that to the supplier. And, and then, then it doesn't materialize. And that, that date comes and goes, and they don't get paid on that date. And they maybe they get paid a few days later, but it's like half of what they've been promised. You know, uh, that can only happen so many times before credibility is shot. Yeah, you're you, you've got zero credibility. And and uh, fortunately, they knew that I wasn't in charge of the purse strings. You know, I was just passing on what I'd been told. But um, but after a while, I didn't even want to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know they couldn't get. My partner, they, they couldn't get him on the phone. So they would end up calling me cause they knew me and I wouldn't be able to tell them anything uh-huh. without talking to him, And, uh, and then after I talked to him, I might not be able to deliver on mm-hmm. what I'd been told to tell him was happening. So it was, it was, it was awful. It was, it was just it's very frustrating. It, 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 professionally it was the worst two years of my life. Well, Hand, sure, hands down.
1: Well, sure, and I know me and Ryan can can attest to the to the same thing. I mean, we were we were front row center for all of that, and we had to deal with with some of that too. I mean, Ryan a little bit more than I did, but you know, clients calling and and you know, you literally you don't know what to tell them, and it's and it's the the real thing that breaks your heart is that you know these are also people that that need this stuff. They, yeah, and they need the equipment. Yeah, and. Yeah, it, it was an incredibly frustrating experience, I think, for everybody, for sure.
0: I think back to um, um, the start of last school year um, and all of these people who are waiting for equipment to start the school year with. Right. And we couldn't deliver it in a timely fashion. Um, and you don't want to lose the order. You know, you you want that order and you want to be able to deliver the stuff. But you can't tell them when it's coming. Mm-hmm. It was, it was just, it it was was a fiasco. It was awful. Yep.
3: But there's a new
1: chapter. That's right. There is a new chapter. So let's talk the new chapter. So. Yeah, let's talk the new chapter. What, what happened? So, so Aroga went down. What did you do? What was your reaction?
0: Well, it's kind of funny because initially when I found out that, that Bob was selling the company to the guy who ultimately became my business partner, Um, I created a fallback position because uh, I wasn't happy about that. Um, So I started. I I incorporated a company, Canadian Assistive Technologies, in 2014. um, And I actually quit. I quit at Aroga. Uh, I put my resignation letter on Bob's desk, told him I knew what was going on, and and, uh, I was heading off to do my own thing. Uh, by the end of that day, um, Grove and I had hammered out a partnership agreement, and uh, um, we proceeded with um, um, taking over Aroga jointly. I should have stayed with Canadian. <laughs> you Technology. should have. I know. <laughs> and we
1: all should have left to go join your company.
0: Um, well, you know what? It would have been it would have been really hard for those couple of years because. Um, Aroga had those lines That's na- true. nailed down. So That's what, true. what product lines would I have been able to get? I might've been able to get some, but, but it would have been, it would have been tough going. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to pick up a lot of stuff until the wheels started to come off Aroga, you know, a couple of years down the road. And I didn't even know that that was going to happen back then. So, um, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? But, um, but anyways, when, when the wheels did come off Aroga, um, Canadian assistive technologies was sitting there on the back bench, um, ready to be revived and, and picked up. So, um, I started getting in touch with suppliers and, you know, telling them what had happened. And, um, a lot of them, um, came on board immediately. You know, a lot of them, um, came later. Um, but, um, um, you know, now, i've got an established presence you know it's not a big company you know it's not it's not an aroga uh, i'm uh, uh, you know starting small but um, but it's it's gonna grow and uh you know i want i want to follow through on those same values that we had at aroga of service and support um you know being our 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 main differentiator between us and and everybody else.
1: I mean, it seems to me that even that whole experience sounds so terrible that I don't think anyone would have blamed you to just walk away from the industry completely. Like what, what kept you, in the field even after
0: that type of experience i've been doing this for 27 years i don't have any other marketable skills (laughs) (laughs) what what the heck else am i going to do i was looking for a more noble answer but
4: that's that's the honest (laughs) part of the the podcast that's
0: reality right but well listen really, really honestly my 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 other option i did have another option my other option was to take a trades job right you know, I could have, I, I've I've got a buddy who runs a, a, a restoration company. I could have gone to work for him. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 50. Right. You know? so.
1: Well, I mean, I, and we're all in this, you know, in a similar boat. Um, but I find that, you know, after being in this industry for 15 years, it would bum me out to go work for. A different company that had different priorities and different different values and, and a different customer base.
3: Um, I've said d- the same thing to my wife in, in looking for work. You know, this assistive technology field is all I know. And, you know, having the relationships that we all developed over the 15, 16, 17 years at Aroga, you know, those meant something and they still do. Absolutely. You know, and I still want to be able to do that.
1: And, you know, and for, for people who maybe are are either new to the podcast or you haven't been listening that long, but I mean, we're still sitting here doing this podcast because we're all passionate about the field and about, uh, the community and uh, people who used to be clients who are now friends. Yeah. Um, we're, we're sitting here doing it, you know, in, in Ryan's basement because we love the industry. And we have a passion for it, and you know, I know for for myself, uh, yeah, I just the idea of going to work for for some company that, you know, whatever
3: they're, punch in, punch out, yeah. You know.
1: Well, even that, but even they're just selling products for a profit, and it there's really there's no, like I used to be so proud to tell people where I worked, mm-hmm. um, you know, incredibly proud, and um, and I think that that comes from just the idea that you're dealing with equipment and software that really
0: makes an impact on people's lives. Yeah. And doing it in a, in an honorable way. Right.
1: Uh, well let's, let's, uh, switch gears and talk a little bit about chaos technical services.
0: Okay. Well, chaos technical services is run by this a-hole that I know. He's just a jerk. Yes, he (laughs) is. Crotchety. yes he is do you by the by the way do you still hang up the phone by throwing it across the room <laughs> no i haven't done that for a long time
2: it's what i say after i hang up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well okay
1: so let's let's frame this properly um but so aroga always had a service department um, that serviced any sort of equipment
2: that... Uh, or arranged for it to be serviced.
1: Yes. Right. Um, anything that was under warranty or even stuff that wasn't under warranty. Anytime anyone had a
2: problem with their device, if they had, if they bought it from Aroga, they'd, they'd... And sometimes stuff that wasn't bought from Aroga. Right. Sure. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time that Steve or I have worked on an optilec. Can you come out and, and visit me? My CCTV is not working. You get there and it's a SmartView or it's an Optilac, or it's a something completely you know, uh, sorry, we do EVS and we do telesensory. Now that was also something that, that
1: differentiated Aroga as well, because it's, it was really a, 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 you know, a, a complete solution for people. Uh, they only had to worry about dealing with one company in terms of all their all their needs, from sales to support yep. to service. Nobody else really did that, correct?
0: Um, I think Frontier did. Front, Frontier had a service department. Yep, I, I think I believe they still do. I don't. I don't. Know. Uh, it's more
2: than I know. Yeah, I yeah. don't know.
0: Um, so yeah, you know, I. I but but I, I don't think there's a lot of other companies that that do.
1: And part of the problem is that it's, it's such specialized equipment that you know you can't just take it into any sort of. I, I would have
2: a real hard time going back to mainstream electronics.
1: Well, and I don't think that that any sort of mainstream electronics uh, service center would be able to take a look at a... Oh,
2: no, 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 no.
0: You you know, say any sort of communication aid, certainly. No, no, no. They don't. No, No, that stuff's way too specialized. I mean, Rick, when he does repair, oftentimes he's doing component level repair. These days, that's unheard of in mainstream electronics. You just don't do that. You just swap a board. It's easier.
2: It's faster. Right. A whole lot more expensive eight dollar component versus an eight hundred dollar board but time is money though time is money so when a slid into obscurity what was your reaction then Rick um well uh, again I was pretty bent out of shape um I was having to tell clients um the same thing as the sales team was I don't know when you're going to get your equipment I I haven't got any parts I can't get any parts your machine is a part on my workbench. I was expecting parts weeks ago to get this done and get it, you know, and and so you put it back in the box
0: and put it on the shelf. I was told that supplier would get paid two weeks ago so that parts would be released, and that didn't
2: happen. Um, So, you know, then people started questioning my credibility, and my my reputation is, is actually all that I have to go on. I, you know, I mean... This is who I am. Certainly
0: not good looks and charm.
2: No, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and generally if I say that um, something is going to be ready, then 95% of the time it was ready. Whether that had to involve staying late or coming in early or whatever, if it was promised, then it was delivered. Um, So I I was quite... um, bent out of shape, Um, and when Aroga actually dwindled into nothingness and I spent a couple of days kicking around home um, trying to figure out what I was going to do next, my wife sat me down and she said, okay, you've had two days of moaning and wandering around the house and bitching and everything else. Um, You either need to sit down and and find a job or you need to open your own shop, one or the other. Just stop moping around, whatever. So then she planted that little seed and watched it percolate for a couple of weeks. And, and then she sat me down again. And she said, you know, we've, we've got some seed money. If that's what's stopping you from doing this, then don't let it stop you. Um, and we were empty nesters at the time. Both my daughters were. One was in Fiji and one lives in Victoria. So we had space in the house and, and it kind of evolved from that. And, um, so far it's been, it's been, we've had some weeks that are busier than others. It's, it's coming though. It's coming. Um, you know, there's the, my, my key accounts are for the most part on board, um, it hurts me to think that you know all the time that i've put into some of my suppliers that's going to get hauled back now because it's going to be serviced at their facility but you know what you've got to be able to be flexible um and and evolve with conditions and that's where we're at at the moment but it must feel really good to, to be the captain of your own ship
1: and to be able to control the, the intake of parts and to be able yeah, to have yeah, quick turnarounds yeah, for people. Yeah, that,
2: that part of it is great. Um, the, the thing that I, I really like about it, about working from home in my own shop, is not having to commute. Sure. Yeah. Right? That's an hour and a half a day, 45 minutes each way. And uh, if for no other reason um that has been well worth the the um energy put into to getting this off the ground um but yeah you're right um you know having a dedicated credit card where i can say uh you know i need to order evs parts they're going on this card uh, they get paid for up front and as soon as the parts are in my hand i know i can install them and not have any flashback from it uh, yes i can make promises Yes, based on good information, I'm now able to give you results again. So it's been good. It's been good. I'm not sure I could go back to working at a workbench and have somebody else call the shots again. Sure. But I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. It's a really important job that you're
1: doing because there's not many people in Canada that has the scope of knowledge that you do when it comes to servicing specialized assistive technology and not to I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt but
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I will no but it's <laughs> but seriously like there cuz you know when when you're a senior and your your CCTV Breaks or is is flaking
2: out. Uh, they don't have anybody to call. Like they don't. The two phone calls that I took this morning is one is the daughter of a 94 year old woman who um, has a Merlin that she's had for six or seven years. It works for the first ten or fifteen minutes and then it shuts down. She's mom is 94. She's trying to get her affairs in order. She has a heart condition. She has high blood pressure. She could pop off any minute and that's her biggest concern right now is getting her affairs in order. And when I told her that she might have to send me her machine for me to do some troubleshooting and and possibly replace a camera or a a video processing board, she unraveled. That's what I was doing up on the steps was trying to calm her down and tell her that it was only only going to be 10 days, two weeks on the outside before she'd have it back on her desk working properly. So, that's how much it means to the end user to be without this equipment. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and you get these calls from parents. Well, my son is home from school because his communication aid is broke. Kids walk by the desk and, and turned around and the backpack knocked it on the floor. Touchscreen is smashed. You know, so they're home for a week or 10 days or two weeks until that gets fixed. So taking this technology away from the end users um, ha- has a dreadful effect on them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, these are the types of stories that, again, you know, for me personally, uh, that it's what kept me at Aroga for all these years, too, is that you see these, you, you know, uh, you see the effect that the, the human side of it the, exactly the human yeah. side of it you're not just dealing with you're not just selling product you're not just you know pushing product nope. on people it's it's really and what always impressed me at aroga was that the adage was you know we're going to sell you what's right for you yep. you know we're not going to just sell you whatever we can it's going to be the solution that works best for you for for what you want to spend yep. Um, and then even once that's happened, you know, you're still part of that Aroga family because, you know, if something goes wrong with it, you it's could just a matter of call. picking up the phone. And we would always be there for anybody and go out either way. Like, I, you know, I've, I've watched Rick tear apart, you know, old devices to, to hobble together a solution yep.
2: a, because somebody needed their device. And they you know, couldn't afford a new device or they couldn't afford huge amounts of money to to fix these devices yeah i've been known to steal parts off of even off our new machines sometimes to get somebody up and running so i think that's that's some of the things that really frosted me about aroga's demise was you know how many bridges they burned in the background and in the foreground
0: right that
2: we had no control over we had no control over
0: yeah don't be a remote office but no never 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 be but right down system.
2: right down to the the last days I mean we were still trying to get stuff out the
1: door the last days I mean you know not to not to blow smoke up all of our asses but we literally were sitting in an office uh not getting paid two for, weeks for for weeks the last two weeks because well for one we you know we we wanted to support Steve but also we we had wagers we wanted to know when the ship was sinking <laughs> not supposed to tell him about that did you have a pool by the way who won that pool <laughs> yeah. i did yeah, we owe rick 20 bucks yeah. oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i better get it to you before my ei runs out uh, <laughs> i mean I, I i literally had to go out and set up shipping through canadian assistive technologies to get the last shipments yeah so did i door for Aroga so did i uh, yeah
2: you know so uh, did i i stole stuff out of that office that belonged to clients
0: just so it didn't get
2: caught and spirited up it at home yeah so that it didn't get caught up with the bailiff when they showed up right yeah I mean, that that's a that's a pretty bad statement to make but i, I mean but it was necessary f- and i've
1: never worked i've never worked at a job or with people that you know, I felt that much uh, of a connection with that I would have done that. Like a lot of my other jobs previously, you know, if they were like, oh, yeah, the bailiff's are coming be like, Okay, cool. I guess I get to go home. Bye. I'm going to steal this. Yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> steal <that.
4: laughs>
1: um, Not mine. I didn't touch it. Um, hmm. Any, anybody have any closing thoughts? Anything that else that we haven't touched on that you want to talk about? Um,
2: for all those listening, we're still here. Um as Rachel so eloquently put it, the sausage factory is still intact. <laughs> um uh, she was a very beautiful young mid-twenties uh young woman who worked with us. And uh put up we're with a lot of crap. We're we put up with a lot of crap. Mostly and we're her. <laughs> we're four older middle-aged guys and she dubbed us the sausage factory. Anyway, um, Actually, we're still here.
0: I believe Rob dubbed this the Sausage yeah, Factory. Oh, did he? Yeah.
2: Um, we're still around, um, and we'll do whatever we can do to make sure that you're taken care of. That's about where, from my perspective, that's about all I can add to it.
3: Yeah. So where can people find Chaos Technical Services?
2: Online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Uh, or you can uh, phone my cell, uh, which lives on my hip eight days a week. 778-847-6840. Um, seven, seven, eight, eight, see, we'll have to... We'll, we'll make it jingle. That's right. It'll help.
1: <laughs> seven, seven, Sorry, eight. I had a brain fart.
2: <laughs> Where the hell that was going?
0: Have you actually looked at that to see if it spells anything? No. No? We should figure that out. Um. So, yeah, we're still gettable. 8740. Oh, no, it's got a zero in it. We're still out
2: there. Uh, We're
0: way out there, but.
2: um, And we'd love to hear from you. Whether it's just to sit and chat and and catch up or
1: whether you want to place an order. I think, you know, and I think that that at the end of the day, that's that's kind of the thing that makes me the saddest, too, is that um just because we've had to, we've had to sort of maintain radio silence for so long that you know it's uh, some of those relationships have kind have of lost contact yeah lost contact so you know hopefully this this will be a chance to to reconnect with with uh, a lot of the clients out there that we had relationships with so yeah
2: they're finding us slowly yeah yeah i i think i think we're in
1: a good spot at the moment so steve tell us where people can find Canadian assistive technology uh,
0: people can find us uh, online at uh, www.canasstech.com that's c-a-n-a-s-s-t-e-c-h.com uh, you can phone us at uh, toll free at one 844 795 uh, you can email me directly at Steve at canastech.com. Um, we're also on Facebook. You can find our Facebook group, uh, which is uh, there. We've also got a Twitter feed which is at canastech. Um, yeah, I think that's about it.
1: Well, it's been a fun show. It was good' to, it was good to reminisce and good to vent about some of that stuff and it's you know it's good to it feels good to kind of put it out there don't you think was it was this therapeutic for you Steve no not really no no
0: no just rehash the whole bitter memory (laughs) (laughs) thanks for dredging up such a bitter memory no problem there's tequila on the table so (laughs) Um. not this
1: day
3: (laughs) every day is a good day for tequila for tequila
1: no I think not (laughs) all right well like uh, how to cap this
0: off well you know this is ET banter podcast How do people find us, Rob? Well, oh God,
1: I usually ask that question. I don't know how to answer that. I'm always asking that. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Tell Steve where people can find us.
3: (laughs) They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also email us, if they so desire,
0: at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Beautiful. And then AT banter is also on the Facebooks and Twitters and the uh, Instagrams and uh, those sorts of thingies. Yep, and the YouTube. Oh yeah, the YouTube too.
1: Excellent. And uh, we've already we've already told the lovely people where people can find Chaos Technical, but you know what? Do it one more time because we love you. Chaostechnicalservices.com. Anything any problem with any sort of assistive technology, feel free to reach out to Mr. Rick Chant. He'll be able to set you up. (laughs) All right. Uh, That is going to do it for us. You know what? Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, This was a little bit of a self-indulgent episode. Uh, So thanks for sticking with us through that. Next week, we've got a great show uh, lined up for you. We're not going to tell you what it is because that's just what we do. But it's way more interesting than us. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Uh, So everybody, stay safe out there. And uh, I have been Rob Minot. I have uh, generally been Steve Barclay. I'm still Ryan Fleury. And the last time we checked, I am still Rick chat And we will see everybody next week.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.